0: From aboard the battleship pretension i am tyler smith i am david Bax, and thank you
1: for listening david mm-hmm. how you doing uh, i'm doing very well because we have a um a letter from a listener yes yes we do um i'm sorry i forgot to remind you yes no uh d i'm just looking at the return address, d something i'm not going to re- read his last name okay. um and d sorry this has taken so long uh this we've, i've actually had this for a few weeks now but uh scheduling has been weird um trying to get it so oh this is fun oh yeah oh this is fun i'm not gonna show tyler until i get to the thing okay oh, excuse me okay so i'm sure what it was, what's happening right now is probably very noisy right it's a little noisy yeah i'm sorry okay so dave is his name I'm just going to start reading this. I hope it's not uh, vulgar. Dear Tyler and David, yonks ago, what? I don't know what yonks means. Mm. I was catching up on episodes and you had a brief discussion about whether or not the $2 bill was viable as legal tender. I have no no recollection of this conversation. In true BP fashion, you talked around the topic without arriving at a conclusion. Sounds Mm -hmm. right. So I thought I'd help you out enclosed you'll find a very spendable two dollar bill for each of you hey all right um now we're doing this remotely and i got to the post office box first so it sounds like four bucks for me uh uh, he says i'll recommend using them when you have the opportunity to leave a cash tip because as you discovered they make for interesting conversation since people see them so infrequently okay I hope this part is okay. Uh, As an aside of little, of little interest to anyone, but me though, germane to the sending of this letter, you are now the second podcast. I have sent $2 bills in the mail. My friend started his podcast, JJ meets world. There you go. You you got your friend's podcast plugged on our show. JJ meets world Uh, in a show of support. And just to fuck with him. I crafted a character and ended up mailing him $60 in $2 bills before revealing myself on the podcast. (laughs) Sorry, you only get $4. Enjoy being slightly richer. All the best, Dave. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's boy. fun. All right, we got two $2 bills based on a conversation that I don't remember.
0: Well, and, and you know, I, uh, I don't remember the specific conversation, but I certainly know I've had this conversation. And it, it is legal tender. Like, that's something I definitely knew. You can spend it, it's fine. Okay. And the, re- the, the reason that it sticks in my craw. Um is that when when I was in, I want to say third grade, we are learning about money and learning about all the different ways you can, all the different combinations of change and bills and that sort of thing that you can do uh to arrive at a certain place. So um so this the teacher said, like, okay, two dollars, you know, and so people are like, Oh, you know, eight quarters or whatever. And then I said, what seemed to me pretty obvious, but no one was saying it. And I said, $2 bills. Now, what I meant was two $1 bills. She took it as, you know, $2 bills, you know, just $2 bill. Yeah, pluralized yeah, yeah. Um, and she said, she said uh, no, there are no $2 bills. Now, at the time, I was angry because she misunderstood what I was saying. In retrospect, I want to get that person fired. There yeah. are two dollar bills. You can spend them. Like it it blows my mind that she said that to me. Yeah. And it's like, look, I get I'm a little kid, and she's trying to get us to understand money in general. The idea of there being a rare bill that you can spend but no one uses, it's like, okay, I get maybe not wanting to go into that, <laughs> but the opportunity has presented itself. So why not? Uh, say that why just fucking lie to a little kid like i'm so much more i'm so much angrier now yeah oh absolutely i was, oh, absolutely. I was yeah. angry because i was misunderstood now it's like she was wrong this this person was who's wrong.
1: an educator
0: yeah yeah oh. i was down didn't like it
1: oh that's that's crazy um yeah i'm trying to think so, if yes, I, two, uh, I imagine the two dollar bill discussion probably involved that story in some capacity probably yeah um, my only story of being angry with a teacher, look, in retrospect, I was wrong. Sure. But I was so sure I was right at the time. Well, this was probably like third grade probably. And it was about like, uh, syllables. And it was like, the quiz was just like, here's a list of words, put how many syllables each word has. And one of the words was spelled. <laughs> it's a word that, you know. Okay. It has 5 letters. Only okay. one of them's a vowel. C H I L D. Child.
0: Okay. Which I often said as child like, like fire. It yes. And sounds like two sounds syllables.
1: like two syllables. Yes. And so I got my quiz back. I had put two syllables for child. Mm-hmm. A word that I, to this day, I, I think still say as if it's a two syllable word. Yeah. Um, got my quiz back and it said I was wrong. And I like went up to her desk and I was like, um, uh, Mrs. Patrol, I think you, you you made a mistake. You said that I got this wrong. And she was like, no, that's, that's right. It's one syllable. And I was like, no child. And she was like, <laughs> child, it's like child. I'm like, in third grade, like arguing with my teacher about it just us just saying the word child back and forth. Uh it's, but that's not the same as your thing because I was wrong. But it's right. still like I was taught that like how many times will you like clap when you say the word or yeah. whatever? Like that's how you figure, you figure out how many how many syllables. And I, I still to this day say child. It takes me two beats to say the word child.
0: Yeah, with with the uh with the hard I like fire, like child, like it's it, for it's hard to say that like the way she like saying child child yeah you're essentially replacing the i with with like a long a child yeah like child. like, a, like yeah. a southerner
1: um and so, right like, which she was by the way i mean she was yeah. from southern missouri
0: yeah did she so southern,
1: southern enough to have an accent yeah okay
0: and so yeah so it's tough so you were wrong but i think what i would have preferred in that instance is her to at least acknowledge
1: that a lot of people say it yeah yeah,
0: why you would think that and and say like you know what i understand why you would say that but actually it's just the nature of this word it sounds like two but it's actually one
1: yeah um so the only other tiny thing so we're we're like in a time crunch we just finished doing a very long movie journal Mm -hmm. and in the interest of getting on to the next episode there was something about licorice pizza that I didn't say at the end of the, uh, uh, of the movie journal, because I was afraid it would start a whole conversation, which it might, uh, we've talked, we did a whole episode about age gap relationships and people being like, um, thinking that like condemning the movie licorice pizza for even depicting, um, an age gap, like a a, a relationship with as big an age difference. Uh, one of the people being a minor, like, and, and we, we did a whole episode talking about that and i just feel like we completely ignored the other problem that people have with licorice pizza which i think is a little more uh credible a little more legit okay. john McElhagen's character more than once in the movie oh, yes. does an over-the-top very offensive asian accent yes and i will admit to this is you know my white privilege or whatever that the first time I saw I've seen the movie the first time I saw someone point that out as a problem my first reaction was like but he's the butt of the joke the right. joke is about him being a racist buffoon and I still think that's true but I also like I think it's worth trying to see it from the point of view of an Asian American say who their entire life, that voice has been used to belittle them, to, to mock them, to demean like just the inclusion of that voice. Um, especially like coming from a white guy coming from white filmmaker. I do think that that, that complaint has more merit. I don't know if I'm going to go so far as to say, I I don't know. It's not, I'm not in charge of uh, saying what, paul thomas anderson should or shouldn't put in his in in his movies but i will say that i have come to definitely see that complaint and and see it from the point of view of of people who are bothered by that and and think that that's a, a legitimate gripe against the movie
0: yeah i mean when i when i saw it i definitely like cringed like i didn't i didn't laugh but not because like I was incredulous that like this character would think that that the character would think this was uh, an appropriate thing. And that he's like, actually that this is, this is the same as speaking Japanese. Right. Um, Right. And, and then to bring him back uh, and have him be even worse. uh, Yeah.
1: To a a second Japanese woman. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I, and it's tough because this goes, this does go to a, a conversation that's, that has been had like in the last, 20 years about jokes that are, that are, that are meant to condemn racism, but in telling them you're engaging in that racism a little bit so that you can poke fun. And this idea, it's like, yes, but what if that joke is, what if, what if that joke is empowering to people that might actually think that thing? Hmm. Um, And that doesn't mean that the person shouldn't tell it. It's just like, that's the risk you run. Uh, when you do something like that. And here, I think the film does a very good job of truly making him not merely the butt of the joke, but making him like, ugh, like you really like you actively don't like him, yeah. which is tough because I like John Michael Higgins. He, I think he's a very likable person, yeah. but I think the film does that. But at the same time, you never quite know if someone could watch that and just genuinely laugh. Uh, right. about like, yeah. I, I can't imagine anyone watching and be like, yeah, that's how they talk. Um, I don't think anyone would do that, but they might, I don't know, the life might, the laugh might not be a hundred percent wholesome. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, and I do think that, yeah, there's this possibility. It's like, it definitely puts us in the mindset of the time, but I could also see if you're a, a Japanese person or anybody who, you know, of any nationality, uh or, or ethnicity pardon me that uh that has had to deal with that very specific a- accent being thrown at them right yeah. um i could see you thinking like yeah you're capturing the era which we did a pretty good job of moving away from if we you know uh thanks for bringing that back i appreciate it um yeah, but uh yeah i i definitely i can see the 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 frustration i don't necessarily like you said i don't necessarily agree with it i think he does a, a fine enough job of providing the context to make this character out to be like just a just an asshole um but you know it's uh i can see the other side of it too
1: well um i'll use that as a completely uh non sequitur springboard into uh, talking about dot com is where you go for prof- professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Today I was listening to an album called Incantation rights by a band called Thronehammer. They're a uh, a doom metal band from England and they're uh, it's a fantastic a uh, fantastic album. Sounded good at my tweaked audio.com earbuds. Those are available at a low, low price at tweaked But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweaked and use the offer code pretension.
0: Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home. Isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret?
1: And Tyler, let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Valentine's Day is just around the corner. Mm-hmm. We've actually got a little more than a week until Valentine's Day, but next week we'll be talking about the Oscar nomination. So that's, that's always right. a fun episode. Um, so we're going to do our Valentine's episode. Up- we don't do a Valentine's episode every year, but uh, I've been specifically thinking about how um, when people talk about romance and genre in movies that seem to default to the rom com. Yes. And there's a there are, romance is itself, I think, a, a a genre, whether it's comedic or not. Um and so I wanted to give some time take some time here to give uh uh the non-comedic romance its day in court. Uh it's a type of movie Here's a, here's a story that will illustrate to you how I was a very normal 17-year-old. Okay. Um, when I was 17, I went to Europe with a bunch of uh, people from my high school. Uh, I wasn't through the high school, but it was all high school kids. Anyway, it's not important. It was an educational tour, but anyway, it wasn't a high school trip. But it was with the high school kids. Anyway, now this was back in the day. This would have been the year 2000. This is before when you got on a plane every seat had its own screen. This was right. back in the day when when they were showing a movie, there was a movie showing on yeah. the screen, maybe they have a couple screens that everyone could see, um and it was just they dim the lights and that was just you just that was the movie you were watching. The only choice you had is whether you put the headphones in or not. Yeah, yeah. So, um they announce uh uh during the uh I don't know when I I can't remember now when they announced the movie but they announced that the in flight movie would be Neil Jordan's not that they mentioned his name but Neil Jordan's The End of the Affair. Okay. And you heard a whole section full of teenagers <laughs> go "Uh" and I was like, "Yes." <laughs> uh, so I've been into romance, I think for a long time. You know, the, that that late high school years would uh, would have also been that Time that I first saw *The Bridges of Madison County*, which is a wonderful movie. Um, yeah, the the end of the affair, which I honestly don't think is Neil Jordan's anywhere near Neil, Neil Jordan's best movie, but that, that kind of movie was very up my up my alley at the time. The English yeah. Patient, uh, these 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 sorts of things. So, um, it's a genre that I that I that I love, and um, I wanted to use Valentine's Day to talk about it. What do you what comes to mind when you think of non-comedic romantic movies um so
0: i th- i first think of uh casablanca yeah uh yep. and i tend to think so as i made my list there are some things that i purposely tried to remove and one of them was the idea of like there are plenty of movies that have a very good romance in them but they're not ro- they're not a romance. Um, okay. And like, for example, um, I, I really love the relationship between, uh, uh, Russell Crowe and Kim Basinger in LA confidential. I think it unfolds in a very natural way. I think they have a nice, a a nice chemistry, but I would never consider that film a romance. And I'd say I'm, I'm on the fence with something like Chinatown. Uh, but, but I, so I tried to look specifically like movies that could be very like the romance is the part, the the main part of the film. So I tried to do that. And then I also thought like, okay, well, should I include the idea of a, of like an unrequited romance, not a forbidden romance. I, we have plenty, I have plenty of those on my list, but an unrequited one where somebody is in love with somebody else. And okay it's not totally returned. Um, It's like, well, that's not strictly speaking romantic um, because I think romance is something that, you know, the, the characters might sort of miss each other a little bit here and there. um, But it is, the feeling is mutual. Uh, uh, Maybe eventually, maybe not immediately, but uh, so, yeah. Um, So I first thought of something like Casablanca where it's romance and connection blossoms in the midst of a bigger thing. Uh, And even though, you know, Rick and Elsa, by the time the movie starts, they were romantically involved, but they're not now, but like Mm that, still, that comes back up in the middle of something else. Obviously something like Titanic, you mentioned the English patient, other movies that won best picture, this idea of really exploring the way a difficult situation uh, can, can cause a person's vulnerability to come out, which, the, which allows them to connect with somebody uh, in a way that maybe they weren't ready for. But um, I did have a question before we get into it. Okay. When thinking of romantic movies, if someone said like, hey, what are some of your favorite romantic movies? My mind will first go to romantic comedy, Mm -hmm. like uh, I'd say invariably, if, if you qualify it and say like romantic dramas, like, okay, that's fine. But if you say romantic movies, I'll default to romantic comedy. Why do you think that is? I'm not asking you to speak for me, but I think it's true of a lot of people. When they think of romance, they might, they'll probably think of romantic comedy, like when Harry met Sally or, or princess (laughs) Bride or something.
1: Yeah, that's I mean yeah, I certainly think when Harry Met Sally, the Philadelphia story, these it did happen mm-hmm. one night, these are the places my mind tends to tends to go. And I think I think it's just a more visible version of the the genre, and it's also seen um as less stuffy. Sure. You know, a a a lot of romances, you know, people have the reaction that my classmates had to to the end of the affair like oh yeah. you know um it's i i think r- romantic comedy comes up first because it's just the more visible more popular version of the genre i was yeah i definitely
0: think that is true and i was trying to think if there's anything contained within the specifics of the genre that that resonates more with people and i and i think that i think it probably does because while while romance is you know can be melodramatic and and over the top and histrionic you know i when i think of of connecting with someone on a romantic level um i think of a certain lightness like i feel certainly my feelings are intense but also i do feel that idea of like like oh i'm walking on air or whatever um Mm. and similarly just like the 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 act of or the process of letting your guard down. Like I remember when Jen and I first started dating and, and slowly but surely like warming up to each other and, and really getting to a point where we felt like we could be ourselves. And as a result, I feel like we made more jokes and we laughed easier. I do think like the, the, the the fact of, of humor and smiling, I think it just naturally comes about in a, in a romance, especially if, if the characters are falling in love. Um, And so I think, and you have characters that are, or, or in real life, you're not sure if you, what the right thing is to say in a certain situation, you're trying to navigate expectations, put your best foot forward. And then, Oh no, I messed up. I look silly now. I think all that stuff lends itself to like early courtship. I think lends itself quite a bit to, Romantic comedy because uh, Right s- such, So much of romance at that moment is just kind of Silly in its own way um, But uh, So I think, I think That's why we Why we associate with that First because I think it, it Connects with us on Especially again as a, re- as a Relationship is developing I think
1: that fits More With people's experience Um, well, now you got me thinking about what are, what are things that are common in non-comedic romance, like what situations. And I feel like you kind of mentioned it with Casablanca, certainly true of like Gone with the Wind. um, I'm looking at my list here, Jezebel, like circumstances keeping the lovers apart. Yeah. You know, that seems to be something that gives it this like tragic yearning, you know, like, oh, I hope they come back together by, by the end, or like the case of Jezebel, I hope she like is able to realize that uh, Henry Fonda is the dude for her. Is that right? I I haven't seen a Jezebel in a while, but um, I've never seen it. So, uh, oh, well it's, uh, well maybe, maybe not right now. This would be a good time to watch Jezebel because it takes place during a pandemic. (laughs) Oh, all right. It takes place during an actual like outbreak of, something, uh, that actually happened in like, uh, Baton Rouge or New Orleans or whatever, mm. um, at a certain time. And so it's a movie that like, while it's story is going on, there's also like, we have to cancel our party and they're closing the theaters and we got to right. make sure to wear a cloth over our face while we go outside. It's very mm. surreal to think about that movie. Now I watched it right at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, and that was a an odd, an odd choice, but, um, yeah. So we talked about, uh, yeah, I mentioned, I'm just looking at my list here now okay here's a question this might also be kind of a comedic movie what about romances that are also other genres that aren't comedy like umbrellas of cherbourg is a musical romance but it's not a comedy or like the adventures of robin hood could be a romance but it's like an action adventure movie you know
0: yeah that's a good question um I'm trying to think in terms of like, okay, why would somebody see, like, what is drawing the person to this movie? In the case of Robin Hood, I don't think the romance is the reason they're going to see it. Right, right. Um, um, but um, Sherbro- Sherbro- yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. um, you know, at, which then leads to a movie sort of like Titanic, where you know, it definitely was publicized as like oh this is a love story in the midst of this historical event but i think when it comes right down to it, i think most people because i do think it's a fully realized love story mm-hmm. um but i think most people probably went to see sort of the spectacle and you know the titanic is this event that they knew about and i think they were going to see that but i might be wrong. well i think that i mean the romance is one of the things that t- kept me from wanting to see it when i was
1: dumb and young oh see it's um I think that's maybe what could account for Titanic having a big opening week or two, but I think Mm -hmm. the reason it had the staying power that it did and that people kept seeing it over and over again, it's that you know, this doesn't happen anymore, but Titanic was in the theaters for like a year. Yeah. uh, Almost. Um, Or if not, I can't remember. Um, uh, Yeah. um, That was, that was the romance. Um, Yeah. That reminds me of a story that I think, I can't remember if I've told, on here before when my mom was in high school she worked at a movie theater in st louis or outside of st louis in that suburbs and it had so this would have been in the early 70s uh early mid-70s it had one big screen and then one little screen mm-hmm. and the little screen would like swap out movies every week or two sure the entire time she worked at this movie theater the only two movies that ever played at the big screen were the sting and the Godfather part two. Cause that's sure. just how long movies just kept running forever. <laughs> you know, it's not like it was going to come out on DVD at any point. If you wanted to see the sting, it had to be in a theater.
0: Yeah. I feel
1: like that's, there's an
0: episode in there somewhere about like the, the difference between then and now where like, you know, avatar for example, stayed in the theater for a long time, but the movies that are big now, not that Avatar was that long ago, but by and large in the modern age, like the the biggest movies are big franchise films. And while I'm sure people did see, you know, the new Spider Man, I'm I'm sure some people have seen it more than once. But uh, yeah, I guess so because it is hanging in there and in, in the box office. But uh, yeah, I think there's there's got to be an episode in there about just like tracking box office uh, and discussing box office trends uh through the decades but um Um, which also gets down to like the the way movies are released and that kind of thing but anyway uh
1: okay so i what's become clear to me i don't know if it's clear to you that my i have ordered my list based on release date that's why i keep talking about movies from like the 40s and before Um, but that but like uh mine's completely scattershot uh but it reminds but ordering it this way reminds me uh, so another this is also keeping lovers very much keeping lovers apart but there's a storyline that uh two great movies both have the silent film the fl- uh, flesh and the devil and the soviet film the cranes are flying which i i don't know if we What ideas we have about soviet films but um it feels like it might be a surprise to some people that i think one of the greatest film romances of all time Mm. is a soviet film the cranes are flying but both have a very similar thing of like guy and girl are in love guy goes off to war is missing presumed dead woman hooks up with the eventually like gets over it and hooks up with another fella then that guy suddenly like comes back turns out oh he's been found and rescued and comes back yeah. and has to confront with the fact that the woman he loved didn't wait for him both movies kind of have that same uh plot and uh they are two of my favorite romances of all time so that seems to be uh in keeping with what i was saying about finding ways to keep people who love each other apart seems to be a yeah. big part of, of these movies i certainly would not consider castaway a romance but
0: That's a similar story. Um, And it's like, well, I certainly would not blame uh, in that movie, uh, Helen Hunt. I don't blame her for moving on. Like she has every reason to believe that he was lost at sea and it's been several years. Um, But she does have to confront the idea. It's like, oh, this thing, this relationship that was very real and we're moving towards marriage uh, and then it was cut short and with it, all of my feelings. And now there it is in front of me um yes yeah, uh dr Zhivago i feel like is another example of uh characters right? that yeah. are in love and then circumstances uh separate them yeah it's i mean it's a it's it's a really effective device i do think that like when you get into romantic drama the idea and i think you might have mentioned it like longing like pulling characters apart so that we instinctively want to see them want, want to bring them together. Uh, that is, <clears throat> I think that's a big part of it. It's not the only part of it, but I think most of the ones that we really remember have that quality to them as opposed to, I think romantic uh, romantic comedy where you want them together so that they can have like this fun banter. But, you know, even then there's usually sort of a, often a, superficial thing that drives them apart just towards the end but for the most part they spend most of the time together um as opposed to you know looking at looking at my list here a lot of these movies are about people flirting with the idea of togetherness or and so they're they're kind of apart even if not literally um but uh and then in other cases yeah like uh, i'd throw last of the mohicans in there um and well and then you get into stuff like you know brokeback mountain which what's pulling them apart is isn't you know a, a war or a, you know a pandemic or anything like that it's uh, the culture in which they they live um like looking at looking at this that's a Big in brief encounter, I think, is a very romantic movie, um, and that's yeah. another one where their specific <laughs> circumstances are keeping them apart. Um, so, yeah, that I I don't think that's common to all of them, but a lot of the big ones that seems to be it. There's an almost doomed quality to to the romance.
1: Yeah, um, it's been awesome since I've seen. Uh, so, but like Water for Chocolate is a movie where um, the family like fourth the the guy wants to marry one the younger sister but the family is like no the older sister needs to get married first you're gonna marry and so he ends up he's married to the older sister but they he and the younger sister never stop being in love uh that's a great movie too that's like Uh, out of the bible uh yeah yeah um like water for chocolate by the way directed by um is it alonso or alfonso arau uh, who's also an actor you would know because he played um El guapo in three hey, amigos alfonso right. arau yeah huh. yeah yeah there's a
0: lot of fun in that movie
1: it's a sweater that's a hair <laughs>
0: hey hold up your hat higher just so you can basically
1: shoot him and not care <laughs> oh that's a very good movie um Okay, so uh I feel like we have a lot to to get to well speaking yeah. of um non-American movie, non-English language movies, um Chunking Express. Sure. Uh uh is is a is a is a great romance. I haven't seen that one in a long time. Uh, I don't I don't want to just read them off, but I I also don't want to like leave anything out. I feel like a recent trend Trend sounds like I'm being dismissive. That's not what I mean. But I feel like gay romances and lesbian romances have been more high-profile lately. I mean, you can sure. go back to Brokeback Mountain, but really, I think, like, Call Me By Your Name and then Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Carol. I, uh, Carol, yeah. And then I remember last year and the year before, there was that Kate Winslet, Saoirse Ronan movie, Ammonite, which was not very good. But I remember when watching it, I was like, is this just a subgenre of its own now <laughs> just like period piece uh, uh gay or lesbian <laughs> romance <laughs> um
0: probably yeah cuz it's cuz it would you, there's there's less of a stigma to it now so like obviously for, for there to be that aspect to the story of like the culture is is driving these characters apart it would need to be a period piece, maybe not a hundred years ago. Right. Yeah.
1: That's a good point. 20 or
0: 30 years ago, but it's sort of, it's sort of required. Um, Unless it's something like that movie, I believe it's called disobedience. um, Oh yeah. Yeah. Which takes place within, I I believe it's a modern film and takes place within like Orthodox Jewish culture. So it's like, okay, that can be modern day because they've really specified uh, the culture in which it takes place.
1: You know what episode we've often talked about doing that we really need to do is the direct the non-American director making their American movie debut. We've never I think, done that. I don't think we have. We've talked about it so much, but I think because oh, yeah. um, I think because *Disobedience* is directed by Sebastian Lilio Lillo leo I'm not sure how you say his name uh chilean director and i think that's his first english language movie and then he remade his own movie gloria um, oh, yes. as gloria that's bell right. as well um but yeah uh i've always wanted to do that because sometimes it just like doesn't work you know yeah oh yeah um yeah like when uh chen Kaige made uh oh, what was that movie called oh
0: no i don't remember
1: it's got like uh, Heather Graham in it and like Joseph Fiennes is real bad. Oh, there's like a mountain climbing, climbing aspect to it. Yeah. Oh, what is that? That's going to bug me now. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Listeners, you're going to have to hear me vamp while I think about it. Uh, while I look this up, killing me softly. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Heather Graham and Joseph Fiennes. Um That
0: was a while ago. Well, yeah. 2002. Yeah. 20 years ago now.
1: Yeah. That one didn't work out uh, in, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I was so I'm like going back to my list with said It was chronologically. I was trying to find the earliest like gay romance that's on my list. Um, and I think my beautiful laundrette uh, sure. with a uh, young, like punky new wave, Dylan uh, Day Lewis um, uh, falling in love with a, uh, a British Pakistani man. It's a good movie.
0: Yeah, I actually uh, have not seen it, uh, but I'm always interested in young Daniel Day-Lewis. Does um, well, anyone want to
1: borrow that, br- that Blu-ray? If we ever see each other in person again, I'll lend you the Blu-ray if you want. it. I think I'm...
0: I, You know, like, if it means I have to give up seeing that movie, I'm fine with not ever, you know, I'm fine <laughs> with that. If it means not ever seeing you in person again. Um, okay. <laughs> but, uh So yeah, looking like, it's weird looking at my list. In some cases, it was just like the first stuff that came to mind. And then I looked through a few other lists and and just kind of filled in some of the blanks that I I felt like I had any kind of uh, connection with. And, you know, there, there isn't, there isn't that much commonality to them, but I will say that I feel like there are a lot of romances and this is something that you'll find, I think more in dramas than in a comedy is how often it starts. And sometimes I think it stays in like the infa- the infatuation phase, which there will be an aspect to that uh, in, in any romance, I think like where you just like, can't stop thinking about this person. But I do think that there are some movies like lesser romances where they kind of mistake Infatuation for actual love, okay. Um, and I wish I could think of uh, an example, but like as I was looking through, you know, a, a, an argument could be made re- that Romeo and Juliet, Juliet, is not that romantic, and it doesn't have that much real love in it. It's just like youthful infatuation, which is yeah. what, one of the things that leads to the the tragic end.
1: But yeah, I think a the right production or staging of it, like sure, can acknowledge that without like uh being dismissive of the passion sure sure because the passion is real no matter what even if they are just a couple of dumb kids (laughs) Um, yes they are um uh, i saw i saw i'm sure i i
0: we've talked about romeo and juliet uh in various capacities on here and i saw a a stage production of it uh many years ago when jen and i first moved here and, uh, I remember like, they really, like, it wasn't, it wasn't like erotic or anything, but it was definitely, there was a a real passionate quality to the way the actors related to each other. It's like, I, I believe it. I believe yeah. that they are genuinely attracted to each other and really invested in one another. It really worked
1: for me. Um, something that you were talking about when we were talking about these, uh, gay romances that the, um, the period setting is often part of the, like the scheme of keeping the lovers uh, uh, apart, but it got made me realize like, Oh, there's a lot of romances like hetero romances that are also period pieces. You know, I mentioned Bridges Madison County and *End of the affair. There's also like Brooklyn uh, is, is is a good one. Um, The notebook is a, is a period film. You know, I've never seen the notebook. It's, it seems like it's so
0: up my alley. I don't
1: know why I never. And
0: it's, I mean, it's full-on melodrama, but, like, in the best way. Um, and yeah. it's, it's really solid. I think you'd like it.
1: Yeah, it seems like I, it seems like I would. Um, and so I wonder if there's something to maybe just the idea of, like, being in love is so hard to, like, capture in the moment that you need this sense of, like, nostalgia or this bittersweet. Like, it's already over to, like, appreciate it in full. You know what I mean? Yes, I think so.
0: It's uh, I, I, I think that's a really good way of of approaching it. My my way is may my theory as to why so many of them are, are period is maybe a little bit more cynical, which is I think we have a a romantic like any anything any era or or anything that you romanticize the fact of romanticizing it is immediately going to heighten it. And so I think any, like any period, I'd say like starting from 30 years ago and before, I think we have a heightened view of it and romantic drama tends to be a little bit heightened. And so you can kind of, you can kind of hide some of the elements that people might view as melodramatic in a, in a negative way um you can sort of hide it in the period um and it's and somehow it's okay to have like these these hushed tones because like well hey it's you know it's uh, pride and prejudice it's uh, it's it's yeah. everything is everything is very stifled so of course they would talk like that um
1: well it's uh, now, now you've got me thinking about like the maybe the problem is that we in our present like the present day culture expects irony and so people being just earnestly in love in the present day would be too embarrassing to viewers and so you need this protection of like the the decades of time uh in the past because it's it's almost as like well it makes sense because people were like that back then and we're not now yes even though we are but -hmm. we don't like to acknowledge that about ourselves in in the present day or when we do in movie form it's often turned into a musical like la la land or yeah i guess The star is born counts as a musical um, or even even
0: once maybe once yeah um, yeah but, uh, it's you know <laughs> this is a, a smaller thing but like you know in the same way that it's pretty rare to see someone smoking in a movie that takes place in modern day people still smoke yeah but, you know it's it's not something but if you have a period film it feels wrong for them not to be smoking yeah you know yeah but uh yeah I, I i think uh i think that's that's correct um you know when i think of 90s like rom- you know 90s romances they're almost that take place I- in that era with the possible exception of before sunrise which also which does have a certain degree of irony to it just in yeah. the, in in their characters um invariably they wind up almost by default becoming uh romantic comedies because there's that ironic detachment where they're commenting on what's going on right. and the moment you start doing that you just kind of start veering into the world of comedy
1: yeah um we should probably start wrapping up because like we said the movie journal went very long and we're on yeah. a time crunch um I don't know if you had any others that we didn't get to that you wanted to to mention, uh, Jean Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast.
0: I Uh, wanted to mention that one. I wanted to mention that to jump into extremely unconventional romances. Okay. Like the shape of water, like her. Um, Oh yeah. You know, and this idea that's like, you know, we've already, we're talking about, you know, these dramas in which, uh, the attraction can't be allowed because they come from different worlds or they're literally separated. Um, And here it's, they're not the same species and yet they're still, which, which then means that like the love, the the filmmaker needs to work that much harder to really create a connection. Otherwise the audience is going to be like, this is gross. I don't like this. (laughs) And to the, to the credit of Cocteau and uh, Del Toro and um, Spike Jones. They really, and in the case of something like Shape of Water, where one side of the romance, I guess, I guess it's nonverbal on both of their sides. Yeah. You know? um, and so, and then in the case of her, you never, it's, it's only verbal. And so like, these are, these are really hard things to do. Um, And yeah, if you have a lesser filmmaker doing it, then I genuinely think like people would not be able to be on board with it. And I actually know plenty of people who just couldn't get on board with the relationship in the shape of water. I don't necessarily love that movie, but it wasn't as function of not buying their connection. Um, I think that really comes through and her, I really think is, is pretty astonishing because Mm -hmm you're having a character who is simply a computer program. So her arc is not merely falling in love with this guy. It's under coming to understand what humanity is and and along the way falling in love with him. And it feels completely organic um, every step of the way. Uh, and yeah, like those are, those are movies that, and beauty and the beast in general, I'll even throw the the Disney version in there. Like that is the nature of that story. And I think people see, I think people instinctively, if they even if they can't verbalize it, I think people instinctively understand the metaphor there, the idea that the, there are people out there who just life has, has hurt them enough or whatever it is that they just feel monstrous and they have all of these outer layers that everyone looks at and they see that they're like, I don't want any part of that. But if you can peel that away and see the the humanity underneath or the, the common humanity underneath, then there's really not that much separating them from, you know, Gaston or, or something like that. In fact, there, there is a lot separating beast from Gaston, which is Gaston is a monster underneath. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting sub genre of, romantic drama that yeah. requires stylization of course but uh but i think some of the best filmmakers really managed to pull it off
1: yeah um well i don't know I mean, you you mentioned a spike jones movie and spike jones and michelle live together in my head so eternal sunshine of the spotless mind sure. um another one i cannot believe i didn't i skipped over this before uh because i think it's one of the classics of the genre the remains of the day mm, which i've never um, seen actually oh okay well well, you at least you've at least seen um, Carmela Soprano and Father <laughs> Phil watch it together uh, in a, in a uh, charged uh, scene. But that's the the thing that's keeping them apart is just Anthony Hopkins' character's like dedication to his like his his role in the household is what it is. He's the butler. He's the top of the. The, the servants he can't he can't do this and he can't even admit that he has feelings yeah. uh for her and so it's an entire movie of of longing um but uh yeah uh, great I, movie i wanted to throw out a movie i don't know if you have seen
0: it because and now it's everything is just going to be very scattershot and random yeah. um did you ever see alfred hitchcock's rebecca i've never seen it no well first off in general hitchcock approaching romance is fascinating just in it, you know, because you know, that's how you get uh, Marnie and Vertigo. Um, but Rebecca is similar to something like Jane Eyre, which I think also has an interesting kind of romance to it. Um, Rebecca has this a really fascinating uh quality where where, you know, a, a woman comes into an unfamiliar environment. Uh, very much in love with uh, with this man, um, whose damn whose name escapes me. But he is very wealthy, and he was married. But his wife Rebecca uh, is gone. But as you might assume from the name uh, of the of the film, while it is not officially a ghost story, it might as well be. Mm. The house is not haunted. Rebecca's ghost is not in the house, but her absence plays a big role you know, and this idea, it, it essentially winds up being kind of a love triangle, except one person isn't there. Um, and, uh, it's a, it's such a fascinating movie and I think it's beautifully realized and it is this idea. It's like these two characters who absolutely love the, love each other, but he still has this. I don't want to say baggage because he loved his, his first wife as well, but he still has this, um, this extra thing to to get over, um, and it's handled in a way that's delightfully gothic and visually gorgeous, and and uh, every bit as melodramatic as as is required. And uh, I highly recommend it. I think you would really like it.
1: Uh, okay just to wrap up a few more honorable mentions or not even honorable mentions just things i can't believe i can't believe when you mentioned brief encounter i didn't also mention in the mood for love because those sure. two movies would make a great double feature uh, um uh, and also when I was talking about um lesbian period piece romances i didn't talk about the handmaiden should have mentioned the handmaiden yeah uh, and also speaking of period pieces and speaking very recently my uh until we do our next our top 10 of 2021 list my still reigning number one champion movie is lovers rock. Mm. <laughs> it's my favorite movie of 2020. So that's still uh n- number one. So um, uh, that's another, another period piece. Uh, anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap up? Uh,
0: my current favorite movie of 2021 is Cyrano and, you know, it has always been a romantic story, although there is an unrequited element to it uh, as well. And I do think that the new film just steers so much into the the romance and does not look back like it is not there's no around ironic detachment it is unabashed yes yeah. its, in its romanticism but again it's, it's a musical it, but it is it is a musical yes yeah um and then uh let's see i feel like i had one other thing to talk about here no i think i think i i think i got everything so um I guess wings of desire um, and by something like city of angels uh, there's, there's an element of infatuation in this idea of, uh, you know, an angel who know, who kind of knows everything about this woman already. And, but it's the fact that he's an angel that is keeping him away from her. And then he decides he doesn't want to be an angel anymore. And, uh, and uh, so he, much like her, he's learning how to be a person while also, uh being falling in love with this woman um and then speaking of of uh brief encounter, I also wanted to mention summertime I think summertime is, oh, is yeah a that has a really a very organic uh romance to it I think that unfolds in a way that feels very natural
1: yeah, I need to watch that again. It's a good movie all right well um you can find us at Uh That's where you can find reviews of probably something we mentioned today. Sure. I'm pretty sure I reviewed Shape of Water uh, uh, off the top of my head. Um, and Portrait of Lady on Fire, I reviewed that as well. Well, we're not going to play the game of how many movies I mentioned yeah. today that yeah. I review. Um, but uh, you can find that at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at David at BattleshipPretension.com or Tyler at BattleshipPretension.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at DavyPretension. Also, please check out my other podcast. It's called The One Where I Met Your Mother. My wife and I, my wife and I watch an episode of Friends and an episode of How I Met Your Mother every week. Uh, compare and contrast. This past week was season two, episode 11, which in Friends uh, is the one with the lesbian wedding. Um, that's the one with the lesbian wedding and, uh, how I Met Your mother it's how Lily stole Christmas, how many mother season two Christmas episode watched in watched and, and, and reviewed in February. <laughs> so that's, uh, the most recent, uh, there, um, you can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Tyler, what do you have to plug this week?
0: Uh, I will repeat that I have uh, an actual episode of more than one lesson available over at more than one in which I talk about uh, James Mangold's Ford versus Ferrari. And then uh, there is my documentary uh, Valley of the shadow, the spiritual value of horror, which you can uh, rent on Vimeo or you can watch on the rediscover television uh, streaming platform. So uh, yeah, I, I would love for people to watch it and, and let me know what they think of it.
1: All right. Um, other than that, we'll get you. Uh, other than that, thank you for listening.
0: Yeah, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>